You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 29th of June 2018 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Andrew Muller. On today's show, further scrupulous and exacting analysis of the World Cup, of the sort which can only be provided by people who've seen some of it on television, including a contemplation of the tournament's signature technological advance. The team consists of a video assistant referee and three assistant video assistant referees. Additionally, four replay operators will select and provide the best angles from all relevant broadcast cameras. My guests Thomas Lewis, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Hester Underhill and Augustin Machelari will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including the United Kingdom's crumpet panic, Canada fires back in its trade war with Trump, and what else other than cigarettes should be sold in plain wrappers. That's all coming up on Midori House on Monocle 24 right now. So, welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Monocles Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Augustin Machelari, Hester Underhill, and joining us from our Toronto bureau, Thomas Lewis. Welcome all. And we will start with more of the rigorous and informed analysis of the World Cup, which has recently become a hallmark of this programme. Obviously, the tournament is of markedly less interest, since Australia were cruelly robbed of a place in the knockout stages by the pettifogging technicality of their failure to win any matches. Nevertheless, 16 countries are persisting with pursuing this hollow charade to its futile conclusion. Um, Fernando, um, we, we have talked in this space before about Brazil's chances. Are you liking them any more as the tournament, 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 tournament? God, it's been a long week. Tournament goes on. I think we've been progressing since our first match. I was very disappointed the first match, and including the Costa Rica one, where Neymar kind of tried to fake the penalty. I hate that. But I think we played beautifully against Serbia. It reminded me of the beautiful... Beautifully. Yes, I think we do play the beautiful football. You know, with our, you know, I, I think it, it, it's it's like magic sometimes when Brazil is on the on the on the stadium there. So. I, I think, like most neutral observers of that game, <laughs> I, I was disappointed by the Serbian defence's failure just to spend ninety minutes kicking Neymar all over the park, which I yeah. I, I think would have done wonders for the country's international reputation. He received so much criticism uh, that I think he was a little bit better, and he was not trying to kind of uh, you know to to cave a foul. Or anything. So uh, I think he's learning. He's a young young man. He will he will learn it. And Augustine, how invested in this are you at this point? I have no money riding on it. If that's what you mean. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I'll um I'll, I'll watch it if it's on. I'm more excited about Wimbledon starting, to be honest. But it's been fun so far. I've caught a couple of the matches. I went to see the first England game in a pub that had a really large mirror directly below the. TV and found myself getting quite distracted by watching the people watching the football rather than watching the football itself. But I'm sure it was terribly compelling. They looked like they were having fun. That is actually, but that's that is genuinely one of the pleasures of going to live sporting events. Is is is, is, is if you're not especially emotionally invested in the outcome on the field, is watching uh, the people around it. Absolutely right. Yeah, my experience going to the Emirates Stadium was one of uh, complete awe at the scale of the crowds and at the green, the vivid green of the grass and all the sensory elements were really, really sort of great. And then there was this kind of slightly pathetic football match in the middle of it all. <laughs> it looks much smaller than it does on TV and uh, reminded me of nothing if not watching my friends play five aside. 
Um, Hester, you, as I understand it, are a World Cup refusenik. I wouldn't go so far as to say refusenik, but I haven't... that That does suggest a certain amount of hostility, doesn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't say I feel hostile towards it, but that said, I haven't seen a single match. Is it is it odd being completely sort of serenely indifferent to such a thing when it's clearly a big thing? I'm trying to think of things that become big things that I don't care about. But the trouble is, I guess, doing a job like this, you end up having to care about most things. Like Eurovision, for example, Fernando. Um, is it odd? I mean, I suppose in a way, but it's also there are a lot of benefits to not being really very <laughs> interested in that, for example, the pool near my house, I can go there and not queue if, if there's a, a match on, you know, and, and things are just a lot emptier and freer when everyone's kind of rounded up in the pubs watching the football, and especially with the weather. It's just... Actually, on the subject of, of Wimbledon, Augustine, a friend of mine did once suggest that the, the hot tip was to go to Waitrose during the final. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Absolutely nobody else in there. Uh, Fernando, we, as promised uh, at the top of the, the program, we were going to have a, a controversial discussion of uh, VAR. Uh, and I, I want listeners to recognise that I have risen above the temptation to do the VAR, what is it good for, joke, which which works better in print now that I think of it. Um, Philando, I my, my position on this is quite clear. I think all video review systems in all sports are basically the beginning of the end of civilization as we know it and should be done away with, but you think otherwise and are therefore wrong. Well, I'm not going to say VAR that I love it, but I think it's 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 a, it's a useful new technique that FIFA is trying to use. And remember, it's the first time that it's been used. Some people complain that it's delaying a few matches, but I think because it's something new that they haven't done it before. So, of course, you know, they have to be very cautious, you know, and if needed, there will be some delays but to be honest I think you know the football will become a little bit fairer you know there will be no major controversies there will be nothing but major controversies well, like this this one now which is which is seeing this discussion spiral yeah. into well, there will always be there but I think it will be better than it used to be and of course we remember nostalgically oh the hand of God by Maradona whatever but, but let's be honest I mean we want the game to be fair so no we don't <laughs> well this is, but, this is, but I genuinely don't understand do, do you mm. not think that it actually uh, it causes people to take football far more seriously than they otherwise should. My, my principal objection to all video review systems is that this is not a murder trial. It's a game. That's, that's, uh, that's actually a very good point as well. But, 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 you know, if we do have the technology, we kind of have to use it. Because I have a feeling that we didn't use it in the past just because we didn't have the technology. It's not that we didn't want the game to be fair we've in a way. Te- we've got the technology <laughs> to send out two teams of 11 robots. Should we do that <laughs> instead instead of oh, this? Uh, to be honest, I'm pretty sure we must have a World Cup for robots already. <laughs> it does seem to take a bit of the theatre out of it, I have to say. It does. It, it, it removes the spontaneity and excitement and, and gives the match officials, frankly, far too much power. And isn't the rage quite a large part of it for a lot of fans? I think it was a cathartic experience, screaming. But, uh, but, but also the, the basic idea of sport as a life lesson. Things go wrong. Somebody makes a bad call. Live with it. But people will still make bad calls, even with VAR. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. <laughs> My point exactly. Well, I think we've agreed there that I'm right. Um, let's, let's look now closer to home at a story which is making those of us who threw a packet of crumpets into our shopping basket as recently as yesterday afternoon feel pretty clever right now. The UK's largest crumpet producer, Warburton's, has suspended production at two of its plants due to a shortage of carbon dioxide, which is used to preserve them longer in packaging. The same problem has caused manufacturing of soft pink 
soft bink? Soft <laughs> drink and beer companies, I'm reading three words ahead, to scale back their output. The CO2 drought has been caused by several producers of the gas closing for maintenance. Um, first of all, I will confess that the packet of crumpets I bought yesterday are not Warburton's, but were Tesco own brand, which, which in my opinion are an equivalently, you know, agreeable product. What am I bid? Anybody? I'll give you 150. I think crumpets. 150? That's, that's season, three times they? what I paid for them. That's a result. Sure, but I stick them in the freezer and just in case the just in oh, case the I supply s- doesn't come back yeah, through. Yeah. I'm not going to be eating a crumpet until November, I don't think. Maybe, maybe I should hold on to them a while longer. Um, but this is serious. I mean, I've, I've been affected by this already. Uh, I wanted to buy soda water and there was literally no soda water in three supermarkets that I visited and I really needed my soda water. But I know it's not, this is not tragic, you know, compared to other problems in the world but yeah it's uh, I, I you know it's very problematic Hester I understand that you have some familiarity with the actual technicalities of this well that might be a bit far but I <laughs> I have um, a bit of knowledge on the subject so basically why the UK is in such a pickle right now is because lots of the um, so many of the plants that so many of the plants that make the CO2 in mainland Europe are closed for maintenance at the moment. And here in the UK, we've got five plants that produce CO2, which is a byproduct of producing ammonia, which is used for fertilising. So only two of the five are now functioning in the UK, which has caused a massive shortage, not just for for crumpets, but for, um, like, for example, Weatherspoons has had to cut down the amount of strongbow Amstel and Bira Moretti that it sells because it can't be produced in large enough quantities because there's not enough uh, CO2 to make the bubbles for it and uh, it's had other knock-on effects like for example um, abattoirs in the UK are becoming overcrowded with animals who were meant to be slaughtered but now can't be because they use these kind of CO2 pistols to stun them before they're slaughtered and Obviously, without the CO2, they can't stun the animals and then they can't be slaughtered. So, Well, this this story went from almost charmingly quaint to quite depressing yeah, really, quite really quickly. Uh, Thomas, in our Toronto Bureau, are there signs of panic buying of crumpets in Canada yet? Absolutely not. Uh, but everyone, well, everyone, I say, but the Canadian press is looking at the sort of shortage and the effects of this in the UK pretty, uh, in pretty sort of keen fashion, just to dip back to the World Cup briefly. The pubs have been pretty full here for each game and beer has been flowing pretty pretty uh, copiously, I think it's fair to say. Uh, there is a lot of relief that there is no such shortage here at the moment. Um, so I think, Are you sure you that know, hasn't been panic buying of beer rather than people just enjoying the World Cup? Well, I mean, if you're, you know, a supporter of a team that's been hammered or been dumped out of the World Cup, maybe you were panic buying beer to try and uh, drown your sorrows. Who but knows? At least but Australia I, qualified, Thomas. Yeah, whoa, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder when this is going to get personal. We almost got there. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Uh, well, uh, yes, I was panic buying beer around the time Wales failed to qualify for the World Cup to, to drown my own sorrows. So there you go. Um, Augustine, the, the potential, I guess, wider subtext of the, the crumpet panic story is that this is being brought about by a shortage of something that the United Kingdom imports from Europe. Um, is there a concern that this might be something about nine months from now that we're going to have to get rather more used to. Yeah, I rather think so. Uh, or something that we're going to have to get used to paying more for. I mean, Brexit negotiations uh, 
are not continuing apace, are they? Let's be honest. Um, May was just at the EU summit, and the priority there was finding a solution to the kind of aftermath of the initial migrant crisis of sort of 2015 and 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 and, and what the legacy of it. Uh, May and her sort of Brexit petulance uh, were not necessarily that high on the priorities list, and I can't see that it's looking like she's really thought about it. That I mean, obviously, she's thought about it really hard. She's thinking about it really hard all the time. It's like a massive concern for her. It must be so stressful. I actually don't envy it. But, you know, people are saying what Britain is coming out with now is stuff that should have been really sorted out two years ago. And as you say, we've got nine months and no CO2 to slaughter our piggies. <coughs> Uh, Fernando, are you yet contemplating returning to Brazil where there is apparently no shortage whatsoever of crumpets and, and soda water comes out of the taps? Well, I'm very worried about my soda water. So, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> no, but, but but honestly, I am worried. I mean, for having... Uh, imagine when Brexit happens. I think there might be shortages of other things. That, you know, come on, the UK is a strong economy. I think even with Brexit, you know, I'm, I'm kind of joking. But, but, you know, the public, you know, especially if they voted for it, they have to be open to realise that, you know, there will be some shortages, there'll be some difficulties here and there. Um, Thomas, to, to come back to how things are seen from Canada, does the, the, the Brexit um, thing, the, the seamless, well-oiled progress uh, of the Brexit apparatus get much attention from the Canadian media? It does get a lot of attention and a lot of Canadians are quite um, confused, I think, about kind of how things are going and the sort of the details of the the sort of, you know, various sort of messes of the negotiations, I think, are uh, are of real interest. I think particularly now, uh, given that Canada's own trading relationships with the US particularly are also being, you know, recast and thrown into sharper focus, um, you know, with the, the various maneuvers from the US and the retaliatory moves from Ottawa. Well, we will have more on those in the second part of the show. Thank you, Thomas, for teeing that up. Uh, We are going to take a short break now. You're listening to Midori House with me, Andrew Muller, along with Hester Underhill, Augustin Machalari, Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Thomas Lewis. Coming up next, as Thomas has portended, uh, the great American-Canadian tomato sauce and toilet roll war kicks up a notch. Subscribe today to become part of the Monocle family. From product design to the best places to go, Monocle will bring a monthly dose of fresh ideas to your door. Being part of the family also comes with a 10% discount at the shop and online, as well as unlimited access to our online archive. In addition, you will enjoy priority access to selected product collaborations and receive exclusive offers and invitations around the world. Subscriptions start from £55. For more information, visit monocle.com forward slash subscribe. Mention the name Funkhouse in Berlin and you'll be greeted with excited curiosity or a mysterious smile from those in the know. The former communist broadcasting house got a new lease of life when young musicians hunkered down. Monocle Films set out on a tour of the stunning studios and recording halls. Funkhouse on the same wavelength, playing now in the film section at monocle.com.
You're back with Midori House with me, Andrew Muller. Still with me are Hester Underhill, Augustin Machalari, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, and in our Toronto bureau, Thomas Lewis. Now, the world derived considerable amusement this week from Harley Davidson's announcement that it would move some of its production overseas after the EU slapped tariffs on its motorcycles in response to tariffs imposed on European steel by US President Donald Trump, whose narrow win in Harley's home state of Wisconsin was crucial to his election victory in 2016. So well played there. Canada, similarly targeted by Trump, has now joined in the fun. Starting this weekend, it will impose tariffs on products including, but not limited to, American-made toilet roll, organic face wash, room deodorizers, and ketchup. Um, Thomas, is Canada being willfully whimsical here in its choice of targets, or is, or is there a, a logic to this? Oh, there's a very finely tuned logic to it. I think if you asked anyone in the government, the foreign minister, Christia Freeland, has just finished within the past hour a big uh, press conference at a steelmaking plant in Hamilton, Ontario, which is about an hour away from us here in Toronto. Um, She was announcing this final list of items that will now be subject to uh, import tariffs by the Canadian government. And when they announced this initially a few weeks ago, pretty swiftly after Donald Trump announced that Canada would be on the list of those countries that would now be subject to tariffs on steel and aluminium imports into the US. Um, they that long, that long list, if you like, was very targeted at specific um, districts where specific Republican and Democrat lawmakers uh, would be seeking re-election in the midterms. For example, there was a tariff on soy sauce, which is made in Paul Ryan's district, uh, there was also a, uh, a tariff on maple syrup made in Bernie Sanders's district in Vermont. Um, so there, you know, it might seem a fairly fun kind of list on the on the you know looks of things on the surface, uh, but there is definitely a logic here. And when you look at some of the numbers, I mean, I think you'll see that you know this is you know a bottle of ketchup might actually amount to quite a lot at the end of it. You you see about five billion Canadian dollars worth of goods, including ketchup, were imported into. Canada from Pennsylvania back in 2017 Uh, and then you look at you know washing machines for example that was about 131 million Canadian dollars Uh, glue about 23 million dollars lawn mowers and the list goes on and I think by targeting this at specific areas of the US and specific states particularly I think the Canadian government is being very firm in its rhetoric uh, that it's you know not going to you know it's not going to sort of play softball based basically, with these tariffs, that it takes it extremely seriously. Now, there is a concern that actually these tariffs will impact domestic making in certain sectors that are affected here too, and that is a debate that's just beginning, really, kind of after today's announcement by Christia Freeland. Uh, Just to follow that up, Thomas, how is this playing in terms of domestic politics for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? Is being seen to stand up to Donald Trump uh, doing well for him? Um, it's an interesting question because Justin Trudeau is being challenged on lots of different um, areas at the moment and his popularity in the opinion polls here at least is fluctuating. We are of course approaching the, the Canada Day national holiday so there's lots of symbolism both political and otherwise kind of coming up around that during this long weekend. Um, but you know we're just over a year away from a federal election here in Canada um, so things are definitely beginning to sharpen. I would say you look at a figure like 
colleague, Christia Freeland, who is Justin Trudeau's foreign minister. You know, her conduct has been wildly hailed, I think it's fair to say, uh, from across their support base and by an international kind of audience too. If you think back to the G7 a few weeks ago in the Charlevoix region of Quebec, when Donald Trump took, uh, you know, to Twitter with this tirade against Justin Trudeau for an apparent stunt press conference that he pulled once Trump had boarded the plane to Singapore. Well, actually, there was no difference in the language Trudeau used in that in terms of this firmness against kind of what the Trump administration is trying to do in terms of trade. And you look at this uh, big, very big announcement in Hamilton, Ontario today, that language was just as firm. So I think, you know, we've had lots of meetings behind the scenes since the G7 and today between Freeland, between other Canadian diplomats and their US counterparts. Um, And, you know, the suggestion is, I think, on the face of it, to those of us outside those discussions, that things are still pretty fraught. And of course, the shadow of the the NAFTA renegotiations, which are not going well from a US perspective anyway, despite what President Trump would like us to believe, um, that, you know, this suddenly becomes a pretty complicated picture. So, you know, there are there are movements underway for sure. But I think it's the Canadians uh, side of things will definitely want to be standing firm. And I think that is gaining traction uh, within lots of lots of corners of the electorate here in Canada. I think once these tariffs, you know, take root and come into force and the drip drip, if you like, of the effect of them on the local economies involved here, well, maybe the picture will turn slightly. But I think at least on the surface of it, the strength of the message, I think, is going down quite well here in Canada. Uh, Fernando, it's one of those quotes that would come back to haunt Donald Trump or would come back to haunt any politician who had any capacity for shame or embarrassment. But he he famously once said that trade wars are good and easy to win. Uh, Do you get the sense that this is working out terrifically well for him? Well, maybe not terrifically well, but well, I think, because it's 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 appealing for his voter, you know, for for, for his voter base in a way. Even uh, the Harley workers in Wisconsin well, who are going to lose sh- their jobs. Well, sh- sure, I think that part. But I think overall, uh, you know, l- let's look at the United States. You know, unemployment is down. There are some positive news coming from the economy. So, so again, it's not. I'm not defending Trump. I'm just saying that you know that there is sense a little bit at least for. For, for his for, for for you know for people who had blue collar jobs as well so you know I don't think it's all bad actually Andrew I think the Harley Davidson sure is not ideal news for him and in fact uh, I've heard I think he was furious uh, with the CEO of Harley Davidson because I I, I well, generally he's, he's think furious with everybody and yeah, everything all the time but I, I, yes. I, I think he was quite surprised especially because <laughs> Harley Davidson is quite a patriotic brand and I think the government is actually they they, they use a lot of things from uh, the military of Harley Davidson as well so it's quite well, that was a bit surprising I mean it's strange that he was surprised because I wasn't surprised no and, and mm. I I don't really know terribly much about how international trade works, but even I saw that coming. Um, Hester, just thinking about this in terms of way that politics works in various other countries with, with which the United States trades, has Donald Trump just given lots of foreign leaders who he really doesn't like very much uh, a free hit? They, they can all sort of strike back at him to their own electoral advantage. It would seem that way. And I think there are a few kind of unexpected outcomes of um, Canada's boycott of um, United States produced products. For example, it's, it's kind of sparked a sense of nationalism within the country. This is the, the buy Canadian the, thing, exactly. which has become a thing. Exactly. Hashtag buy Canadian and hashtag boycott USA are now trending on Twitter and kind of have brought people together 
against Trump in a way that's kind of maybe something, a positive outcome of the whole whole thing. Okay, well, let's look finally uh, to Australia, which it turns out has actually won something this week. Uh, a ruling from the World Trade Organization, which I think we can all agree is worth 10 of any games of what you people call football. Specifically, Australia has won the right to keep selling cigarettes in uniform plain packaging, which bans all logos and colours. Cuba, Indonesia, the Honduras and the Dominican Republic, none of whom even qualified for the World Cup, claim this was an infringement of intellectual property rights. Um, this is a, a timely subject uh, for us to discuss. Obviously, Monocle's Quality of Life conference uh, is happening in Zurich today uh, and discussing, among other things, how governments can improve uh, the quality of life in their jurisdictions. Um, Augustine, first of all, as a general principle, is this a good idea? Because, I mean, all around the world we've seen things done to cigarette packaging, including uh, adorning the the packages with pictures of the exciting diseases one can catch from using uh, the product. But in Australia, as I have seen, they they are sold from behind uh, locked cases and locked cabinets, as is now the case in the UK, but the um, but the, the cartons all look like something you would be grudgingly given in prison. Yeah, I think it is. As a former smoker, every now and then I lapse. I have to say that the really awful photos of mouth cancers and impotence and all of that does do a little bit of nudging towards guilt to kind of put one off if you're thinking about lighting up. But more importantly, you know, it's been really interesting discussing this issue with some of our colleagues here. Um, without going too far into it, I think it's kind of clear to most people that smoking, for whatever reason, does retain an edge of glamour, um, probably because of really, really solid PR, heavy investment in the movie mm-hmm. industry in the early 20th century. It has this, like, residual cachet. I was in Spain couple of weeks ago and I had a gitan and they look very short they're very white and they kind of look exactly like the cigarettes Dylan Thomas might have smoked and I felt extremely cool and the simple fact is that having ugly plain sludge colored packaging and it really is the most appalling color that I've ever seen um presumably entirely researched and calculated to be so yes and it takes the sexy out of it like comprehensively there's nothing like there's nothing cool about pulling something out of one of those packets and sticking it in your mouth and so while it may not be that at present we're seeing too much of a of a change like certainly in uh the west there is a real surge against smoking like it's becoming super passe it's becoming a taboo and the sort of de-glamorization of it can in part surely be laid at the foot of this awful branding and and that's only for the good really um, Fernando, the question is, of course, with these things, where do you stop? Cigarettes are not the only things you can buy in shops that would be that are bad for you if you consume them as recommended. Should we should we ban all logos and colours and design on alcohol, for well, example? I got to be very honest here. No, because I am already worrying that they sugar is the next uh, the next bad guy, and I love sugar, and 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 I know it's bad for you, but I want beautiful packaging when I. Buy sugar and I understand cigarettes you know I know they can kill you and and I think they should have something in the package saying you know this causes whatever disease it is but I'm, I'm sorry Andrew I, I think Australia went a bit too far in a way uh, and, and you know I do believe in competition I do you know I actually in, in a weird way I do miss the Marlboro advertisement with the sexy cowboys you know and and, <laughs> and, 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 and it's funny because I'm not a smoker so it, it is a very difficult of course I, w- I don't want people to smoke I don't want people to die but 
but I believe in some sort of freedom as well. And, and Hester, are you a crazed libertarian like Fernando? <laughs> Um, maybe not, not as far as that, but I, I just, what I find weird about the whole thing is you're, you're kind of buy a packet that says smoking kills with some horrible picture on it. And you're kind of like, if it's that bad, why are you still selling it? Like why? Because people are paying money for it. Yeah. But it just seems a bit twisted. I don't know. It's a strange, strange case. Uh, Thomas, in Toronto, w- would you be at all dissuaded if if these things were only available in unpleasant, unappetising, olive-coloured packaging? Uh, well, no, frankly, Sam, <laughs> to say. Um, one thing that this whole conversation has brought to my mind, though, is uh, looking ahead here in Canada to October, we've just heard this past week that the legalisation of recreational marijuana use is going to come into force on the 17th of October. And what we're seeing is, uh, at the moment is this quite interesting scramble for the branding of what, when you sell marijuana as a, as a retail item, kind of what that branding looks like. I was speaking to the owner of a firm here who's had a brand for a few years now that's aimed to sort of elevate the kind of the the sort of you know standing of marijuana I guess through design in quite successful ways I think these notions that you know if you use marijuana whatever you think of it you know you stash all this stuff in a shoebox under your bed and it's all kind of a bit of a dirty little secret whereas now this whole new industry is going to pop up in October and there's a real fight at the moment quite an interesting one for what the brand of marijuana will look like you know beyond the sort of maybe skaters baseball hats or kind of t-shirts with big marijuana leaves on there is there is there kind of a, a place now for sort of a more thoughtful design so uh, for for this kind of new brand new sector in effect that will come into into play in october so i think it's quite an interesting um new you know idea of how you brand something that hasn't been a sort of publicly available necessarily item um in the past and, and how you approach that from a branding point of view we will have to leave it there. Thank you all very much for joining us. Thomas Lewis, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Hester Underhill and Augustin Machalari. Today's show was produced by Tom Hall. Research by Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Megan Atkinson. Our studio manager was Cassie Galpin. Music next at 1900. It's The Menu with Marcus Hippie. More on the day's main stories on The Daily at 2200. Midori House returns on Monday at 1800 London. I'm Andrew Muller. Have a great weekend.